Well, good to see you today as uh, we meet on our last Sunday of the year. We're going through a series that we've called Verses for Life, where each week I find a verse or a couple verses that I think you could live your whole life by this particular passage. And they're verses that I think are worth memorizing, and I encourage you, if you really want to get into it, to memorize the verse and then spend the next week or so meditating on the things that God shows you from that particular scripture. So that's what we're doing. Um, the verse that I picked for today is, um, is a verse that fits really well with transitioning from one year to the next, I think. But it's in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. The whole third chapter of Philippians is amazing, but we're just going to zoom in on Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14 today. If you back up, Paul has been talking about figuring out who he is and what his life is supposed to be, and he says, I still haven't apprehended, I still haven't got my, myself wrapped around the idea of why God apprehended me in the first place a little play on words, as he says, I don't have a handle on what God has a handle on me for. So, in verse 13, he continues with this idea, and he gets personal with him, and he says, Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended. So, he's basically saying, as far I'm not the example of somebody who finally really gets this, but I'm being honest with you as family. I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Forgetting the things that lie before and reaching forward to the things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Just two verses, but it's a mouthful. There's so much wrapped up in here. But it gives us a beautiful picture of someone who, like at this point, Paul is coming down towards the end of his life. He spent some time with the Lord. He's now in prison. He probably understands that he isn't likely to get out of prison. And he's reflecting on his life, and he's doing the best work that he can do at this point. And he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, which was, according to the way he describes it, as like one of his favorite groups of Christians to connect with and correspond with. And so he's talking, though, about issues of life. And I think it's really a good idea for us to, even though I understand that you know, the, today transitioning into tomorrow is just like one day turning into the next in a way. But the artificial way that we remember that with the calendar does help us to gain a sense of perspective and a fresh start as we're like, uh, you know, personally, I'm not going to miss, hey guys, I'm not going to miss 2023. I'm like, okay, I'm kind of glad that's over with. And now there's this hope of what's going to happen next in 2024. 
And so it makes it an interesting time to reflect on this particular passage, which is sort of where Paul was coming from in this whole thing. So, first of all, we have to get it out of the way. He says, here I am. I'm, I'm Paul. I'm the apostle. I've written half the New Testament, but I have not arrived yet. He says, what I'm telling you isn't something that I have mastered. Isn't it interesting that Paul, at this stage of his life, is still trying to figure out who he is. He's still in sort of an identity crisis, in in a sense that I'm trying to figure out I don't yet know. As he says, again, it's a pretty powerful thing, that I don't count myself to have arrived. Now, that tells us a few things. I mean, you see his humility in having that perspective, but you also, it should be something that really humbles us. Because if I have a sense of, I know who I am, I know who I am before God, I know what God's called me to do, I'm certain about all of this. Then here's the voice of the apostle saying, good for you. I'm glad you've apprehended it because I haven't for me yet. So it starts with humility. And that's a good place for all of us to start, is to say, I'm doing the best I can. I've learned lessons in life, but I'm not done yet. Life isn't over for me yet. And I am open to discovering something that may give me a different perspective on my past, my present, and my future. My very identity is open to learning something from God that might be different than what, at this point, I have a handle on. So I love that he starts with that. Look, I haven't, I don't count myself to have apprehended that word count. Logizomai means I haven't checked it off the list. I, I haven't just said, okay, obviously this is who I am. Check that. So it reminds us, I think, let's not be too quick to just go, yep. I'm confident in my identity because Paul wasn't, we might want to hold off on that a little bit. So then, as he's telling them, so I haven't arrived, but one thing I do. Now, if you look in your Bibles, I do is in italics. What that means is they supplied it in there, but it actually isn't in the original. In the original, he says, look, I haven't attained yet. I haven't arrived. I'm not at this place yet. And then he goes, one thing. And that should get our attention. Because it's not a complete thought or a complete sentence. It's him going, okay, you know, I haven't apprehended one thing. I'm going to tell you one thing. Now, now he's letting us know how he's living his life on a daily basis. Now, often we can look at this passage and go, what's the one thing? Will you just tell us the one thing? Like somebody reminded me this morning after first service of in City Slickers when uh, the Jack Palance character goes, there's just one thing. 
And they're like, what is it? And he ultimately tells them, it's different for everyone. So one thing, but then Paul says, I forget the things that are behind, I reach forward, the things that are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. That sounds like a whole bunch of things. But if we think that's a whole bunch of things, we're missing what he's actually saying here. So some of these things that he's saying are perhaps a part of the process of zooming in on your ultimate one thing, which is the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus at the end of the passage. So if you're going to say one thing, you first have to understand the only way to have that kind of focus, which is really a lot of the point of these two verses, is to gain focus. The way you find one thing is by eliminating all of the things that aren't that one thing. When we're young, we pretty much take advantage sometimes of every opportunity that comes up. You don't, the first job that you ever had, you didn't make that as a career move, as like, here's my calling in life. You probably were more likely to take a job because it came up. And then I know for me as a, as a young guy wanting to serve the Lord, wanting to be a pastor, if there was an opportunity, I would take it. Because it's like, yeah, I want to minister to people. Here's some people that want me to minister to them. I'm on it. Eventually, in life, you start finding out you can't say yes to everything. And in fact, if you say yes to everything, you might end up by default saying no to the most important things. And so he's calling us to focus, and a part of that, a part of that calling as you know, I remember Howie Hendricks, and I've quoted him before, I just think it's a great quote, when somebody asked him, how did you, he was a professor at Dallas Seminary in, in Christian education for like 50 years. They go, when he retired, how did you stick with this for so long? And he said, the key to concentration is elimination. And that's true of all focus. You begin to focus when you begin to eliminate all of the things that aren't a part of your field of focus. As you begin to, to move things out of the way, you begin to gain a clarity. And so Paul is here describing how, towards the end of his life, here's how he gains that clarity. Here's how he's zooming in, zeroing in on, beginning to find that connection with that which matters the most. So... It can't be a bunch of things. There are, you know, there was a, a productivity fad of to-do lists, and most of us have fallen into that, tried it at different times. Make a list of everything you can think of that you want to do, and then start checking them off. But then you start going, but I need to prioritize them, A, B, and C, and then even among the A's, one's a little more important than the other. It's A1, A2, A3, A4, and no matter how hard you work, you never finish that list, but you're always forced to say, I wonder if I got the most important stuff, or I wonder what else pushed me. Stephen Covey, in his book on the habits of highly effective people, talks about these quadrants that he says, everything that you have to do, 
is uh, relatively urgent or important or both. So he divides your life up into four quadrants. There are some things that are important and they're urgent. So there are things for you to do this week that are due they're important, and they're really important things. There are other things that are important, but they're not urgent. Then there are things that are urgent, but not important. People are like, oh, you got to do... These are like half the emails you get. Like, I'm amazed. Everyone is urgent. It has to be now. You have to do this. Because they hope you don't notice. But it's totally unimportant. I don't care whether you get elected or not. But their urgency will sometimes substitute for good judgment. But then there are some things that aren't urgent and they aren't important. So Stephen Covey says, the no-brainer is the things that aren't urgent and aren't important, eliminate them. The things that are urgent but unimportant, eliminate those as well. Just because somebody is pushing you isn't a reason why you need to do what they want you to do. Now you look at it and go, so the important, urgent things... That's the most important category, right? Not necessarily. The most important category is the category that says, this is really important and it's not urgent. Because if you do the important things before they become urgent, they never get bumped into that category where they crowd everything else out and dominate your life. Now, yeah, you need to do the urgent, important things, but if you can focus your energy on the important things that aren't urgent, you get your life in, into place a little bit. So Paul is talking about this idea of how can you find this focus? How can you get yourself to the point where it's, you're gaining clarity? And for him, he was beginning to gain this clarity as an older man who's in jail. So now he describes, here's how you find that focus. So he says, forgetting what the things that are behind. Forget the past. Reaching forward to what's ahead. Now, a lot of times I think we misunderstand this. If you tell somebody, you know what, forget the past. That can be devastating if you misunderstand that. It isn't that, oh, anything that's before now... You don't remember it anymore. You just chuck it. You erase it from your memory like the men in black pen. It's just, (laughs) what UFOs, you know? You can't live your life that way. What you can do is take the past and stuff it and try to ignore it, and then it comes creeping out and it affects you in all sorts of ways when you've tried to forget it. Now, what... What Paul is saying here, the word that he uses for forgetting, it's used several times in the Bible, but it's usually used in what, in in the Greek is the aorist tense, A-O-R-I-S-T is the way you spell aorist, but it's the tense that says, this is a, this is a point of action. This is something that happened. So all the other places this word used, like the disciples had forgotten to bring food. It's the aorist tense. They forgot. But here, it's interesting, it's in the present tense, which in Greek means this is continuous action. This is something that you are doing, and without a foreseeable 
beginning or ending. This is the practice of what you do. So be forgetting. And it's also in, and I don't want to bore you with the grammar of all of it, but there's, there are, in English, we're pretty familiar with an active voice or a passive voice. And the active voice is when the verb is done to something. So the, bo- the boy hit the ball, and that's the active tense. The subject is performing the action. The boy was hit by the ball. That's the passive tense. It happened to you. Greek has those, but it also has something called the middle voice. And in the middle voice, which is what both of these words are, forgetting and, and reaching forward, um, they're both in the middle voice, which in the middle voice, it's not it, you are the one who's performing the action and you are the one on whom the action is being performed. Like the best English equivalent I can think of is I'm washing my hands. Okay, I'm washing my hands Am I doing the action? Yeah. But is the action being done to me? Yes. I'm intimately involved in this decision to wash my hands. I'm doing the washing and the washing is being done to me at the same time. That's the middle voice of the Greek. So if I lost you, okay, come back. We're okay. What what he's saying is this is an intimate practice that I do. I am always in the process of filing away items from the past. I'm forgetting constantly. Now, again, if it's just the idea that, oh, I don't remember it anymore, and, and you treat it as if it happened and that's it, then how do you explain the Bible? If, if forgetting the past is such something that you can accomplish, most of the Bible is to remind us of the past. Not only that, you look at Paul. He's the guy who's talking. He says, I, in order to gain focus, I am in the process of forgetting the past. And yet, at this point, here he is in jail. One of the things that he's doing, besides writing the New Testament, half the New Testament, is that he has a guy named Luke, who's a doctor and also a historian. Luke wrote the book of Luke, which he had done, he started with that as he had interviewed a lot of people. And like, for instance, the whole Christmas story that we have, most of it comes from Luke chapter two, which undoubtedly Luke got Mary way after the fact to go, yeah, I'll never forget it. Those shepherds showed up and here's what they told us and all these things happened. And yeah, we took him to the, it's history. It's remembering the, what had happened. And then the book of Acts is primarily Paul's recollection of everything that had happened. And not selectively, it's the only reason you know, that we understand that Paul was in charge when Stephen was stoned to death. We get that from Luke, who was there with Paul as he wrote the story. So Paul is processing that. He talks about all the persecution that he did of Christians and things like that. So he hasn't like, Stephen, who's that? Oh, persecution? Nope, I forgot that. No, he's going, I can maintain my focus 
once I allow myself to be in the process of processing what's happened before and moving through it and then putting it in its place where I have a handle on it. I don't know about you, but there are times when things that happened in my past that I had forgotten, and then all of a sudden something happens and it jars and jogs my memory. And those of you who are older understand this a lot more because we can remember elementary school easier than we can remember yesterday. But, you know, those memories are there and sometimes the way to be healthy is to face some of what happened in your past that at the time you didn't have the wherewithal, the strength psychologically or whatever to really work through it. You don't understand that you have become who you are partly as a result of things in your past and you're not going to get completely healthy until you're able to process the past. So it, it throws off your, your focus if you haven't been, been willing to go back and look at the past and be honest about it. If you're stuffing the past, if you're pretending like it didn't happen, if you're hoping that people never find out. See, if you're hiding something from your past, then it's always going to control you. It's always going to hound you. You're always worried that somebody's going to find out about it. If you just come right out and process it and deal with it, there's a real freedom to that remembering because now you're forgetting it, you're moving it into a file cabinet, you're like, I have processed that and I'm done with it. I think that's what Paul is talking about. And no one can stay clearly focused until they've faced their past and it's a constant, it's a constant thing. If you don't do it, then that past is affecting you in ways that you have no idea. You don't even realize what is happening where you can go, okay, that felt this way because I remember why. I can understand. You know, maybe I was abused or maybe, you know, there was a time when somebody said something to me that really hurt me. And so I can't run away from it. Paul didn't. So he says, here's how to get focus. You start by taking the past and owning up to it and filing it saying, it's not that I don't remember it, it's that I am constantly processing it so that I'm not running from it. Forgetting those things that are behind. And then reaching forward to those things that are ahead. Now, that word for reaching forward is also a present, you know, middle participle. So you're always in the process of moving forward. Now, those things that are ahead, in the English, it doesn't come across quite as clear as it might. Ahead doesn't mean in the distant future. I think a lot of times it's easy for us to go, I'm just thinking about heaven. I believe in heaven. I look forward to heaven. But how much of the Bible really talks about heaven? You're not supposed to be constantly consumed with heaven. Why? Because you have today. You have this week. You have right now. And that word, the things that are ahead, it means the things that are immediately in front of you. And that starts to change it. So then it's like, I mean, it's not that you can't 
think more distant. But if you're going to focus, you better focus on what you're doing today and this week. Because decisions that you make today are going to affect next year. There are some people who haven't come to a relationship with Jesus yet where the decision that you make can affect you for all of eternity. But if you're going to get focused, you have to be willing to process the past, but you also need to be willing to live in the reality of the present. Face it for what it is. Be honest with yourself about it. Stop lying to yourself. Stop lying to other people. The only thing that sets you free to truly focus is when you've processed the past and now you're facing the present. The choices that you have right now. And Paul did that. So he says, my focus comes as I'm willing to process the past, but I'm willing to live in the now. I'm willing to decide, here's what matters most now. So then I look at all of the options and I go, today I can do something. I have an opportunity to do something that is actually, maybe it's not urgent, but it's important. It matters. Is this something that I should be doing? Not tripping out on, yeah, but what difference will it make in the long run? You can't live your life that way because you don't know what difference something's going to make in the long run. There are things that I did that I thought for sure would have major positive consequences. They didn't. You know, you, you know this. There are times when you were there for somebody and made such a difference in their life, but they get over it. And they don't even remember it anymore. And you can look at the end of your day. It's one of the reasons why with people nowadays, instead of having long to-do lists, there are people who have, who have written articles that just suggest what you should do every day is have one thing on your to-do list and say, what could I do today that will make a difference. Put that down there with a box and check it off when you've done it. At least you got one really important thing done in your day. Now other people would say, I think I can handle three. Okay, but the thing is, look at now, look at the immediate future. The best thing you can do for the distant future is to live in the immediate future making the best choices that you can and making responsible decisions and actually taking action. So, I'm going through the process of forgetting. I'm going through the process of moving forward. Then he says, so I press toward the goal. That, the Greek word there for goal is the word skopos in the Greek, it, which we get our word scope from it. It's a word that refers to being able to look out in the distance, to scope something out, in other words. So he's saying, as I'm dealing in the present with what I'm supposed to be dealing with, I'm also pressing, I'm also putting effort, ultimately then, in what's, what is it that's going to matter as I scope it out? What is it that pressing toward the goal? And then he says, the goal for the prize. This is what it looks like to win in life. It's the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. The word high there means the best. It means like 
How do I know what's the best thing to do? He says, that's the one thing. That's what I'm looking for. The high calling. And that word means an invitation. So in his mind, he is saying, God in Christ Jesus is inviting you to step up, to live your life in such a way that your priorities align with your efforts and your energies. And then you'll go, I am beginning to see what life is about. I'm beginning to see who I am and what I am about. But as I'm doing that, it's a process. So I keep my focus going, am I dealing with the past as it comes up? Am I dealing with the immediate future? Now, am I hearing his invitation to move toward the most valuable things, the things that matter most? Most of us waste most of our time, most of our energy, most of our money, most of our thoughts and concerns on things that even as we're doing it, we realize they're not going to matter that much. But we only have this one life, and it's short. And I think that those of us who have been alive for a while realize it doesn't feel like, man, it feels like I've been alive forever. No, it feels like I just got here. And I'm like looking around going, why are all my friends so old? (laughs) But Paul is in this position, and he's just going, there's something that God had in mind that here's what he saw in you when he called you. And the more you can become the person who begins to take shape, and it's always in a unique way. It would be easy if it's just like, just be more like Jesus, or just just stop sinning, or something like that. But if that was the case, Paul would have just said it. You got to stop doing stupid things. Like that old Bob Newhart thing where he was the counselor and a girl's telling him all these negative things that are happening in her life and he just keeps going, well, then stop it. And that's the advice. But that's not what he says. Because he says, this is something that's personal and intimate with me and I'm still working on it. But I want you to understand that same sense of focus, that same sense of one thing, and it comes down to this, this process that leads you to ultimately becoming what is going to be, for you, a unique connection in a way that you go, man, and that when you die, in that moment you would go, I was just getting started. I mean, yeah, then when you go to heaven and you're going to be everything that you ever hoped that you could be. But while we're here, what a unique gift, what a special opportunity we have to make these processes, these mental habits, these decisions that we make every day, and then we can just go, it's starting to come into focus. I don't, you know, when I was younger, I thought I totally knew who I was. As I get older, then you start to wonder who you are. But then 
you get the perspective. If you're willing to look back and to look at your immediate present, the picture begins to clarify. And that's what Paul's talking about. And I think that's what he would want for each of us. Your picture is going to be different than mine. Your life is going to be different than mine. Nobody else can tell you who you are. Nobody else has a right to. Jesus is the one who chose you for a reason, and he gives you the opportunity to begin to discover what that reason is. And ultimately, you'll be amazed how much of what you've gone through in life that seemed meaningless turned out to be really meaningful in helping you to narrow down. Whether even bad things that happened to you equipped you and assisted you in moving in a direction where you're like, I'm still not sure, but the picture is much more clear than it ever was before. That's Paul. He's not saying, I'm clueless, but he says, I have a focus that I understand what it is that I, that I want to do in my life. Paul could have, I'm sure he was a really good tent maker. He could have stayed doing that. I'm sure as a pastor of a church, he was very effective doing that, like in Ephesus or somewhere where he stayed for you know, a couple of, three years. Instead, he decides, I think I'm supposed to go be a missionary. And I'm going to go put myself into the line of fire. And basically what I do is going to end up putting me in jail. And ultimately, I'm probably going to die in jail. That seems like a really bad career decision. (laughs) Until you realize half of our New Testament we have because of that decision. So I don't know where I'm going to make a difference and where I'm not. So, I mean, sometimes I'm just like throwing stuff out there. I don't know. Like, like I, every day I do a one-minute message. I don't do them every day. I do seven one day a week. And then they put them on. They mail them out to people. When I first started doing them, I changed shirts before each one. And I'm like, eh. Now I usually just change angles in my study. It's kind of stupid. Um, I... Like right now, I, I got this brilliant idea of going through the book of Exodus. And it's like, oh, it's just killing me. But there's good stuff in there, but you really have to draw it out. So uh, a couple weeks ago, a woman emailed me and said, you know, you were t- I think you were talking about Exodus, but you called it Ezekiel. And I go, yeah, I, I did that on purpose because I want to see if anybody's reading but the truth is, I have a lot of people tell me that they like my one-minute messages. But I don't know if it really is something that's... Oh, please. But you don't know. You do what you can, and you hope it helps somebody. When I teach a message, I'm like, I'm just telling you what I think. I mean, in reality, my messages are just preached at me, I'll be honest with you. I need the message, and that's why I preach it. If you happen to get caught in some of the crossfire, that's on you. It's going to look a lot different for you than it does for me, but I'm just like, I'm trying to do what I can. Now, uh, plenty of times you wonder, how much of this is going to really work? How much of this is really going to bear fruit? You don't know. 
But if you don't continue to focus, you'll never find out. And focusing is eliminating those things that don't seem to be moving you in the direction of the calling and, and the specific you know, intentions that he has on your life. So while you're processing the past and while you are processing the immediate present, understand with a scope, you know, as you are looking forward to seeing what's going to happen and what's God going to do. That becomes our one thing. Your one thing, my one thing. We can just live in the past. We can, you know, I, I, one of my favorite quotes is that, and I can't remember who said it, but somebody reminded me of it this morning. I'm like, yeah, I need to look that up and see who said it. But, but it was when, when your past becomes more exciting than your present or future, you've started to die. That's why I try not to be nostalgic. Oh, back in the day, I'm telling... You know, that's why, like, you're not going to see me write a book about the Jesus movement or whatever. Forget it. It got us where we are today, but I have a life to live. I have a future to build. I have a present to be absorbed in. I can't afford to be too nostalgic when I believe that the best days for what God's going to do are still ahead. Not just for me, for all of us. But I've got to maintain my focus and then trust him that ultimately his highest and best is still ahead. And I absolutely believe that as we move toward a new year. We're just getting started. But if we can look to find our focus by not running away from the past, at the same time, by looking for opportunities in the present, then that high calling of God, which the highest calling, the highest invitation in Christ Jesus, that becomes our reality. And so to me, that's, there's no better way to start today than to be reminded of what Paul reminds us of in Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14. Now, I have to say, if you're here or you're listening online or on the Roku channel or whatever, and you've, you're not even sure about your connection to God at all, you're just like interested, you like the idea of Jesus and Christianity, and you like to be good and you hope to make your life better, but you've never truly come to him and said, I am yours. I'm reporting for duty it all starts now. It all starts here. And you have a purpose in me, and I want to live my life trying to figure out what that is. Then today might be the day when everything starts over for you. What better way to end one year and start the next than to decide from now on, I want to live my life focused on the calling of God that's in Christ Jesus. And so if you've never really made that decision I pray that you would make it today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you for Paul, everything that he went through, and then here he shows us this humility and the power of focus, processing the past, considering present 
and immediately future opportunities. And then scoping out the highest invitation to become the people that you've called us to be. Help us to live our lives, those kinds of awarenesses, those kinds of priorities as we move into 2024. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.